Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. You may be seated. It's really good to be here tonight uh, with all of you. Uh, and uh, thank you, Brother Boyd, for allowing us to be here and uh, for providing this beautiful place to stay. Uh, and your hospitality, Sister Boyd, thank you uh, for allowing us to be here. And thank all of you for being here tonight. Wow, this church is uh, about full. I hope y'all aren't getting too much at home here because you, you're fixing to need another spot. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'd hate to leave this place too. It's so pretty. But uh, uh, thank you for everything that you do for the kingdom. I want to especially thank you for everything that you do for missions. I saw the plaques on the wall across the, across the way here. And, and uh, thank you for every missionary that you allow to come here and stay every missionary that you support, every mission offering that you give, whether it's global missions, North American missions, um, She's for Christ, Christmas for Christ, Mother's Memorial, uh, whatever it is, thank you so much. Save our children. Whatever you do, thank you for everything you do for the kingdom of God. You know, it's a privilege to be involved in the kingdom. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if he lets you mow the yard, if he lets you paint the walls, it's a privilege to be involved in the kingdom of God. Thank you for everything that you do. I really do mean that. Uh, I drove up, uh, well, it was dark when I got here last night, but this morning I looked out and everything just looked so neat. I told my wife, I said, this place is just neat as a pin. And I know that it just happened. You know, it just, uh, you know, one morning you came out here to this field and it's just grew up like a mushroom you know and and uh every every night at midnight there are elves that slide down moonbeams and clean everything up and mow the yard and i that ain't the way it happens huh uh no somebody makes that happen and thank you thank you for making god's house look like it looks here i really do appreciate it and i know god does and so thank you for everything that you do for the kingdom of god <clears throat> I, uh, I know when you heard you had missionaries coming from Chile, there were two burning questions that have come to your minds. Nearly everybody in this place, you've had two burning questions come to your mind when you heard that you had missionaries coming from Chile, South America. And I don't want those questions plaguing you uh, during the rest of this service, the rest of your life even. I, I want to be sure that I do my best to, uh, to answer those questions for you. Uh, because I don't want you to be bothered by them. Yes, it gets chilly in Chile. <laughs> and no, we don't eat chili in Chile. Uh, you know, that Chile, we, we, we think that everybody that speaks Spanish, they like Mexican food, tacos, burritos, enchiladas, uh, la comida picante. And uh, that's, that's Mexican food. Nothing wrong with it. I like Mexican food. But that's not Chilean food. Uh, in fact, chili is not even Chilean food, but uh, Chile, Chilean food is just as different from Mexican food as, as French food is from German food. There's no, no comparison at all. Uh, the Chileans don't like uh, spicy food. Uh, I like my food a whole lot spicier than what they do. And, uh, but anyway, uh, in fact, the word taco in Chile has absolutely nothing to do with food. Taco is a traffic jam in Chile. Estamos atrasados porque había un gran taco. We were late because there was a big traffic jam. Uh, uh, so nobody wants a taco grande in Chile uh, because that's just not a good thing to have. Uh, 
But anyway, uh, Chile is a beautiful, beautiful country. Uh, Chile is 2,700 miles long. Now, to give you an idea how long that really is, if you put the northern tip of Chile in Buffalo, New York, the southern tip would still go to San Francisco, California. So it's almost as long as the United States is wide, but it's only 150 miles wide. So uh, when we travel in Chile, we don't make a big loop and end up where we started out. We, we travel north, visit churches and cities as we go out. And uh, uh, when we come back, there's no other option but just to pass those same places when we come back. Uh, so it makes every trip seem like it's just twice as long because we got to go out and pass the same things coming back. Same when we go south uh, because there's just one major road that goes north and south in the whole country. Uh, you're never, Chile is mountainous, never very far from the mountains or the ocean in Chile. In fact, I can't think of a place uh, in Chile where on a clear day you can't see mountains. It's absolutely beautiful. Another misconception that many people have is that because Chile is in South America that it's jungle and when we go to church we slide up to the bank in our wooden canoe and we get out and splash to the shore and, and there are uh, monkeys swinging through the branches and parrots flying through the trees and, and uh, we have to watch out for the piranhas as we're splashing through the water. Uh, that's not true. In Chile we don't have a jungle. In fact we have a desert. Uh, Chile, you may have thought that the driest place on earth was located in the Sahara Desert in northern Africa or maybe the Mojave Desert here in the United States, but actually uh, the driest place on the face of the earth is in northern Chile. There are places in northern Chile where it has never, ever rained, uh, ever. Uh, and absolutely nothing grows there, nothing. Not even bacteria grows there. Uh, the the northernmost uh, Chile, uh, city in Chile is uh, Arica, way up in the northern point of Chile, and I read the other day where it has taken a hundred years to get one inch of accumulated rainfall in Arica. So very, very dry. Now, as you go further south, you get about, two, about a third of the way down the country uh, to Santiago, where my wife and I live. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we get a little bit of rain at times. Uh, certain times of the year we get rain, and uh, a few weeks ago they even had some flooding. So we get rain in, in Santiago, and then you go about two-thirds of the way down the country, and uh, it's real wet, kind of like uh, Seattle. It rains a lot, it's cool, kind of gray, kind of cloudy, very beautiful, very green. And then when you go all the way south to the very point of South America, there's a city called Punta Arenas, and uh, this is where Magellan found... Uh, way through there, the Magellan Strait and uh, Straits of Magellan. And uh, that is the southernmost city in the world. There is nothing south of Punta Arenas except Antarctica. And uh, uh, they, they literally call it the end of the earth. Uh, and I've been there. I've been there several times. And I, I like to tell this. There's a city in, in Alaska called Homer, Homer, Alaska, and they call that the end of the road. And I've been to, I've been to Homer, Alaska, and I've been to Punta Arenas, so I've been to both ends of the road. And uh, uh, get around. But anyway, uh, Chile is, uh, in, in the south, it's cold, snowy. Uh, they have uh, glaciers, penguins, uh, whales swimming out in the ocean, and... Uh, very, very beautiful. So you can see we have a, a wide range of uh, climate types of, of territory, terrain. And uh, so very, very different. Now, I've given you a few facts about the country, you know, how long it is, how wide it is, and all that. I can give you some more. Uh, but uh, you're going to forget them, and that's all right. But one thing I don't ever want you to forget I don't ever want you to forget the 16 million people that live there. My goal in this service, I have two goals. One goal is for the Holy Ghost to move in this place. I want God to move here tonight. I know this is a mission service, but I believe God wants to move here tonight. I believe he wants to touch somebody. How about you? I didn't come here just to tell you a few facts about Chile and bore you with how long it is and, and all of that stuff. I came here tonight to have a move of God. And I came here tonight that, so that you will leave with just a little bit of the weight of those 16 million souls in Chile on your shoulders. Not so that you will go. Not so that you feel like you have to go there, but so you will pray for them. 
Please pray for the 16 million people that live in Chile. They deserve to hear this message. They want to hear this message. They're hungry. And uh, they're beautiful, wonderful people. If you would come to Chile and visit us, you would fall in love with them just like we have. Uh, They're wonderful people, uh, very kind. They treat us so well. And I got an email from from one of them today and said, Pastor, uh, Pastor, uh, Brother Barkley, we, we miss you and want you to come back. And I miss them. I want to come back. And I'm jealous of the other missionary and family in Chile. They got back last week. It's not fair. <laughs> still here traveling and they're still there. They're, they're there already. And it's just not fair. But anyway, uh, beautiful, beautiful people. And if you would come, they would love you too. That's just the kind of people they are. I wish you could meet them. I wish I had some of them with me. And I'll show you some pictures of them here in a little bit. But they're wonderful people. We have about 40, between 40 and 45 churches and preaching points in Chile in the capital, Santiago, city of 6 million people, very beautiful, modern city. It's where my wife and I live. Uh, 6 million people live there. We have between 13 and 15 uh, churches and preaching points there. When we arrived in Chile in, uh, in 2008, there were between 30 and 33 churches and preaching points in the country. So uh, in our first term there, the Lord blessed us with some moderate growth. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I started all those churches. I didn't. The Chileans did that. Uh, they're workers. They love God. They're committed to this message just like we are, just like you are. They love it. They would die for it. And uh, they have done this work. And we've just been able to be there and be a part of it. And I'm, I'm so privileged and so blessed that God allows us to be there. Uh, but we've had some moderate growth, and we're thankful for that. But I'm not satisfied. Uh, I won't be satisfied until those 16 million people have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I've got some things I'd like to see. I, I don't normally do this, but I'd like to share one of them with you. Um, in the uh, 70s, there was a una, un golpe de estado. ¿Cómo se dice? Uh, uh, a revolution. And this is when uh, Pinochet... Uh, took over the government from Salvador Allende. And uh, this was a very uh, traumatic time in Chile. And there were many, many people that were, that were killed. Uh, people, they, they, would just, they would have death squads come through villages. They would take, gather up people and take them off, and nobody ever saw them again. There is, in Santiago, in uh, a little comuna in Santiago called Ñuñoa, there is a big stadium. It holds about 60,000 people. And during this golpe de estado, uh, they herded several thousand people into this stadium and kept them there for a month. And many of these people were killed right there in the stadium. Blood, uh, the blood of these people ran in, in the grass there in that stadium. And uh, very, it was a very, a very horrible place to be. But I'll tell you what I see in the eyes of faith. I see that place full. I see that place full of people of the name, worshiping Jesus and the beauty of holiness. I see that. I want to see that happen. I want to see that. I believe God can do that. I don't mean just United Pentecostal Church people, but I mean anybody that baptizes in Jesus' name, believes in one God. I see us there together worshiping God. Will you pray that God let that happen? I believe it. I believe that's what God wants. I want to wash all of the blood of those, those political dissidents away with the blood of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. And I'm going to work for that. You pray for me, will you? Amen. Well, I, I've gone to rambling, and I, I, I can't do that because I've only got so much time, and, and uh, I don't want, to, don't want to wear out my welcome here. But uh, I'm so glad that my wife is with me. Uh, she she kind of played hooky on me for a couple weeks and went back to Indiana. Uh, she wasn't being lazy up there, but uh, I, I really missed her when she was gone. And I'm glad she's with me now. And she does so many things. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful that she is here with me, traveling with me. And uh, she is the... Uh, 
la media naranja, uh, the, the, the better half. Uh, and uh, when she gets up here, you'll understand why. And I'd like for her to come and greet you tonight. It is good to be here tonight. Thank you for allowing us to come. Thank you, Brother and Sister Boyd, for your hospitality and um, the beautiful room that we're staying in. Thank you so much. We appreciate everything that you all do for, for missions. And I wanted to say, we just came from Indiana, and I'm so glad for the sunshine. <laughs> they had snow today. <laughs> but anyway, God is good, and I'm so thankful to be in his house today and meet more of his wonderful people. Tonight we bring you greetings from Chile, South America, and the brethren there have asked that we send their greetings to you, and we feel like they appreciate the fact that churches here in North America send missionaries to their country. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, ladies, for Mother's Memorial Offerings. When we arrived in Chile, we were able to purchase our washer, dryer, stove, and refrigerator with those offerings. Thank you, ladies. We appreciate you. And uh, one evening in Chile, as I was preparing for service, um, I remembered that they were going to be serving some sweets after church. And so I decided I would get involved, and I made some pumpkin cookies. Well, in Chile, when they use pumpkin, it's usually in soup. And um, I made these cookies and took them. And after the service, as we began to eat, the ladies that were sitting around me began to ask me what they were. They said, these, are, these cookies are really good, but what are they? And the word for pumpkin in Chile, the word they use is zapallo. But I got confused, and I said, we're eating galletas de zapato. So what I told him was is that we were eating shoe cookies. <laughs> so when, you, when you're learning to speak a new language, it's just no telling what you might end up saying. <laughs> it can be very interesting, to say the least. And also tonight, I would like to share with you a special project that we're working on. For a long time, we have wanted to build a Bible school for the work there in Chile. They, we have a Bible school that's currently meeting in a church in the auditorium. The church is in really bad repair, and we would love to be able to build a Bible school. So if you would like to be um, a part of that, what we're doing is we're selling bricks. And um, for $25, you can buy 10 bricks, and it would be a great blessing to, to this uh, project. The, the Bible school is very important to the work in Chile. This is where men and women go and become and prepare themselves for the ministry. And we just have to have a Bible school. It's so important. So if you would like to be a part of this, it would be a great blessing to see uh, Brother Boyd after the service if you would like to help us with that. And also, just uh, as my husband already asked, please pray for us. Pray that God will use us. Pray that God will send great revival to Chile. God bless you, and thanks again for letting us come. See, I told you she was the better half. You know, uh, she's telling about her language mistake. I could write a book about mine, uh, and I'd have to leave out a lot of them because, just because. <laughs> uh, but one night I was preaching about Ahab and, and Jehoshaphat, and they went to war, and they needed water. So they called the prophet, and the prophet said, make this valley full of ditches. Todd says it in the English. And... Uh, so I was preaching about how sometimes you just have to dig and make a place to contain the blessing that God wants to send. And, uh, but I couldn't remember the word for dig. So I was, you know, going like this. Como se dice? How you say it? Como se dice? And they told me. Uh, you know, they're really good to help me. And, and uh, the word is excavar, like excavate. But I didn't hear excavar. I heard escobar. And so I was preaching all evening long. ¿Quién habla español aquí? No, okay, good. Uh, I was preaching all night long with everything I had and what I thought I was saying was all night long they were digging, digging, digging but what I actually said was all night long they were sweeping, sweeping, sweeping <laughs> and by morning the valley was clean and God sent the water <laughs> so you just laugh at yourself and go on because they're going to laugh you just well be laughing too <laughs> Oh, well, it is a privilege to do anything for God. I am thankful that he called me.
It's, it's a privilege. It's not a sacrifice. Somebody said if, if a commission from an earthly king is considered an honor, how could a commission from a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? And it's an honor to do anything that he asks us to do. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he lets me do something in his kingdom. Amen. Uh, we have prepared about a 10 or 11 minute uh, DVD or video that uh, will, hopefully it will share a little bit about, about Chile, about the country, uh, a little bit about what God has been doing there. And uh, I, I hope that it will share, convey our burden for Chile. Uh, because if you can feel a little bit of that, you'll, you'll remember to pray for them. And that's what we need. So uh, right now, uh, let's go to the video. Creator had a purpose in mind for us from our birth. God spoke to Jeremiah and said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. He arrived into the world with a preordained purpose. We like to use the word calling. While he was being formed in the womb, he began his journey toward fulfilling this calling. While driving through the north of Chile, I passed a graveyard. I stopped and walked through this cemetery, began looking at the graves, looking at the markers. And I remember thinking, and as I do every time I go to a cemetery, I remember thinking, there's one we missed. There was an opportunity to share Jesus with this person, and we missed it. We didn't get there in time. Born in every person is a deep-seated desire to complete a God-given appointment, whatever it may be. Whether that task is to be a missionary, a pastor in the States, or some other endeavor, the most important thing is to find it and complete it. There isn't one thing that's more important than the other. God knows what's needed and adds to the work the things that are needed. The church was birthed with a divine assignment as well. That assignment was really very simple. Jesus said, go ye and teach. Then immediately before he ascended, again he said, go receive power, and be witnesses. This command involved places both nearby and abroad. The early church did exactly that. They didn't allow everyday pressures and challenges or attacks against them to deter them from completing the mandate given them by Jesus. The command, this mandate, is still the heartbeat of Jesus. Let me say thank you for everything you do for missions. Whether it be as a monthly partner, participating in fundraising for She's for Christ or for Mother's Memorial, or most importantly, praying for us. We appreciate you allowing us to be here with you tonight. Your time invested in this service is not something that we take lightly. It's our desire that you be blessed and challenged in this service tonight. Global Missions really is a team effort. From the missionary on the field, to the home office staff, to the monthly partners that give so faithfully. Thank you young people for providing every missionary with a comfortable, dependable vehicle through She's for Christ. Our Hyundai Trajet was such a blessing to us and to the work. We were able to transport everything from people to earthquake relief supplies, to our large tent where many people have received the Holy Ghost. We couldn't have done it without our She's for Christ vehicle. Thank you, ladies, for your mother's memorial offering that purchased a modern washer, dryer, refrigerator, and stove for my wife and I. Your love, work, and 
generosity have made our lives so much easier. God bless you for your efforts. Thanks to God and the faithfulness of our wonderful partners, we've seen God do some awesome things. Recently, a young boy in Vallenar was bitten by a spider in the Brown Recluse family. The doctors said there was nothing they could do and sent him home. He was prayed for by his pastor. The next day, he was outside playing and doing fine. A young man came to be baptized in Yerbas Buenas, a brand new location where we've been having services recently. As he entered the water, he told the pastor, you'll have to help me, I'm blind. He came out of the water completely healed. God is still making the blind see and the deaf hear. The son of one of our national board members was deaf in one ear. He was prayed for at our national conference last year. God instantly opened his deaf ear. A young boy, about a year and a half old, had been on oxygen all his life. Brother Tony Suarez from Virginia prayed for him. They removed the oxygen and he continued to breathe normally and has never had to use the oxygen since. Sister Marta, the wife of one of our pastors, had been in failing health for several months. As I watched her decline, I remember thinking, if God doesn't touch her, she won't be with us much longer. However, at this same meeting, fellow missionary Shane Hayes felt impressed to anoint a handkerchief for her, which we did. Before they entered the house, Sister Marta began to speak in tongues and worship. When they placed the cloth on her body, the power of God moved on her and completely healed her. God really is a healer. We have seen several new churches started since arriving in Chile. Just in the last few months before leaving for the United States for deputation, we've seen five new churches started in the Santiago area alone. One of these churches was started as a result of our Bible school. The director of our Bible school, Brother Pablo Rios, decided to put theory into practice. It took a group of students to a, an area of Santiago where there was no church. He and these young people began to evangelize the area and hold services. As a result, we have a new church being overseen by a Bible school student. It's really exciting to see these students putting into practice what they've been taught. This also illustrates the importance of training and the importance of the Bible school and the work in Chile. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach. In obedience to this command, we have traveled up and down the length of Chile conducting seminars and teaching. The importance of teaching cannot be overemphasized. Jesus said, Go and teach, and then baptize, and then teach some more. How does one adequately share a burden? A calling. It's something that I feel every day. It's something that follows me everywhere I go. I love to talk about the natural beauty of Chile, its majestic mountains, deserts, its miles of beautiful coastline. I love to talk about the glaciers and the towering Torres del Paine in the south. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here to share with you a burden and the spiritual need over six million people who need to hear this message. I wish you could go with me to Cerro San Cristobal, a large hill located in the center of Santiago. To me, this place is the most inspiring place in all of Chile. At the top, there is a huge statue of Mary, a church, and an amphitheater. However, none of these things is what makes Cerro San Cristobal so special to me. From this height, you can see nearly all of Santiago with its six million people. Every time I go there, I hear this country calling to me. I hesitate to use this wording for fear of sounding melodramatic. Then I remember I'm here to share a burden. I wish I could take you there. 
I'm sure you'd hear the same thing that I hear. The cry of 16 million souls saying, Will someone please show me the way? I'm lost and don't know where to start. I want something more. I need something that will lift me out of this miry pit to solid ground. I wish you could ride the subway with me and see literally hundreds of people packed into a train. Again, if you'll stay quiet and listen, you'll hear the same cry. Why is my life so empty? Surely there's more to it than riding this train every day to a job that has no meaning and living a life that has no peace. My prayer for this service tonight is that you too We'll hear the cry of the wonderful people of Chile. We will go. Will you help us go? If you're not currently partnering with us, please consider including Chile in your missions giving. If you're already supporting us on a monthly basis, please prayerfully consider an increase in your commitment. If you cannot become a monthly partner at this time, there's still one thing the most important thing you can do. Please pray for the 16 million souls of Chile. They deserve to hear this message. Several years ago, my wife and I made the decision we sold everything and we went to South America and uh, we're home on deputation and uh, hopefully in uh, a few months we'll be able to go back so that decision has already been taken care of but the question the real question is will you help us go and uh, it really really is a team effort I can't emphasize that enough Uh, you don't have uh, on, a, on, a, on a baseball team, you don't just have the pitcher and the catcher. You've got the people out in the field. You've got the baseman. You've got, you've got the other team members, and they're all just as important as those two guys. And uh, uh, we couldn't do it without our partners here at home. When the earthquake, we had the earthquake uh, in 2010, within hours I had, I had money in my account from people like you people like you that gave to Compassion Services and put the money in there and made it available in emergency situations like this. Uh, some health problems I had while I was there. Uh, I never, never, ever felt like there wasn't somebody here at home holding the rope. And I never felt alone. And that's because there were people like you. And uh, we need you. We need you. And so if the Lord has uh, spoken to you about it, uh, to help us in any way, please see Brother Boyd after service. He'll know how you do that here. And uh, we want everything to be done decently and in order. And and uh, just see him, and he'll be able to direct you. And uh, you'll be a part of what God's doing in Chile. We want you to be a part. I want to also mention just a couple things about the Bible school. My wife mentioned the project, the our Bible school project. <clears throat> and uh, she mentioned how important the Bible school is. Uh, to the work in Chile. Uh, I, I want to, I, I mentioned the uh, church that was started by the Bible school uh, in the video, and I wanted to kind of revisit that because it's not real plain exactly what that's talking about. Uh, the difference between this church and the other churches that have been started in the country is that this church was started strictly as a Bible school project. It wasn't a daughter work. It wasn't even a young man that had a call on his life, wanted to go to start a work, and the Bible school helped him. It was just the Bible school, the kids in the Bible school, young people in the Bible school going out and doing what they'd been learning in class. They put it into practice, and it worked. And people got baptized. People got the Holy Ghost. You've got to have a church. So there's one of those young people, young men pastoring that church today because that strategy worked they decided to try it again went to plaza de armas in the middle of santiago uh same strategy that worked they're now looking for a place to have service they're they're preaching on the radio there have been people baptized in jesus name people filled with the holy ghost so that works and uh, uh they're serious about starting churches let me tell you how serious they are uh, <clears throat> 
when I was there in April of this past year, uh, they decided at the national board level, they decided to set aside 40% of their national fund to fund the starting of new churches. They have five target cities. That may not seem like a lot, but uh, uh, we got 45 church, 44 churches now. You start five, that's over 10% growth in one year, and that's not too bad. And uh, so uh, I believe they're going to do this. Why do I believe they're going to do it? Many reasons, but number one, it's what Jesus said to do. And when we do what Jesus said to do, he'll do what he said he would do. And so they're doing what he said. He's going to do what he said. It'll work. And many other things. I don't have time to get into all of it. But uh, so if we're looking at five works, at least five works this year or in, in this uh, fiscal year, uh, maybe eight or ten next, the next year and so on, you can see this thing snowballing. This is where our trained pastors, evangelists, Sunday school teachers, music uh, uh musicians is going to come from it's going to come from the bible school you saw where they were studying uh you saw there they just have chairs they're in an auditorium of one of our churches this church is about to fall down uh they really need a building and uh, they don't have desks they don't have a library they don't have classrooms they're just studying right there because they have a desire they you know you can do it if you want to you know, sometimes we think we got to have all of these things and all of these niceties. You don't have to have all that. You can do it if you really want to. Well, anyway, uh, about got going there. But uh, uh, so they desperately need a building. And uh, so if the Lord's laid it on your heart to, to buy 100 bricks or 25 bricks or 20 bricks or uh, 16,000 bricks, just see Brother Boyd after service. You know, I always say that, and nearly always there are people that chuckle, and I, I probably would chuckle too, but, you know, I've been thinking about that. God's got somebody out there who wants to buy about 10,000 bricks. I've had it happen before. And so if the Lord's laid any of that on your heart. Uh, again, please see Brother Boyd, and the Lord will bless you, and you'll be a part of what God's doing in Chile, and he is doing great things, and I'm glad to be a part of it. We want you to be a part of it. Amen. Don't you love the work of God? I love the church. I really do. This is my life. It's not just because I'm a missionary. It was my life before I became a missionary. This is everything. Everything I do, I plan it around church. I did that when I was working a regular job. I wouldn't take a job that made... Well, anyway, uh, I, I built my life around church. I didn't, I didn't build... I didn't build my church, fit it into my life. I made my life fit church. Well, anyway, I don't want to go to meddling. I don't think. Maybe I do. I would like to, uh, again, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And uh, I would like to leave, hopefully, a word of encouragement with you tonight. Turn with me to Ezra. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. I will not preach long. I promise I'll have you out of here by 11 o'clock. Well, boy, it really got quiet then. No, I won't preach long, I promise. Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. Now, when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. There was assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Jesus, I love you tonight. Lord, I need you. Jesus, I'm not playing games up here tonight. God, I need you. Lord, would you, would you touch my lips, my mind, my, my, my body? Lord Jesus, speak to your people. I want you to move. I want you to speak to your folks tonight, Jesus. I want, you, I want their faith to be increased, and I want them to be challenged to believe you for greater things. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Amen. You know, uh, last night driving driving down from, uh, we were in Georgia yesterday, and driving down from Georgia yesterday and got a little late last night. Uh, I, I turned the radio on and, uh, whoops, excuse me. Uh, I believe it was Sean Hannity was on the radio and, and uh, he just got to ranting and raving and I just finally had to turn it off because it just got too much. And if you like, that I, I I'm not talking against him I you know I agree with some of the things he has to say but you know you listen to guys like that Hannity and and Rush and 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 uh the other side NPR and all of it you you get to listen to that stuff and and if you're not careful you get to you get to thinking it's just over we just as well we just as well uh uh you know build a build a, a commune out in the in Nevada someplace and forget it because it, it's just hopeless. But I, I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope. There was one night a man <clears throat> at, at dinner, a man who had spent many summers in Maine, fascinated his companions by telling of his experiences in a little town in Maine named Flank, Flagstaff. Uh, the town was to be flooded as part of a large lake for which a dam was being built. In the months before it was to be flooded, all improvements and repairs in the whole town were stopped. What was the use of painting a house if it was to be covered with water in six months? Why repair anything when the whole village was going to be wiped out? So week by week, the town became more and more bedraggled, more gone to seed, more woebegone. <clears throat> then he added by way of explanation, where there is no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. And what I want to do, I want you to know there's hope. There is hope. The devil, you know, if the devil can't get us to sin, if he can take away our hope, he has crippled us because he has taken away our power in the present. But if we have hope, if we have hope, there is power. Hope is power. Hope will make you go. Hope will make you do things when you don't feel like doing it. Hope is what makes a sick person get on up out of bed. Hope is what makes a person that that uh, is, is sick uh, it, it, it makes them fight. It makes them fight against that disease. Hope is what makes a person that's uh, in, a, in a seemingly hopeless situation keep on struggling, keep on kicking, keep on walking. And I want you to keep on walking. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody that today you have felt like there's no use. I, I'm just going to give it up. I'm just going to throw in the towel. I've had it. I, uh, there, there, there's just no hope. I want you to know that there is hope today. I, I heard a story, read a story here not too long ago that a, a woman, uh, her, she was in church and been in church for many years and her husband was not in church and and uh, she just became discouraged. She taught Sunday school in that church. And she became discouraged. And she went to the pastor and she said, uh, Brother Pastor, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit teaching. I'm just going to give it up. I've, I've had it. Uh, I've prayed for my husband for years. And he still hasn't come into church. And I've struggled with this for years. And, and I've just had it. I quit. And the pastor didn't know what to do. But he, he said, well, sister, would you, would you please just teach one more Sunday? Give me one Sunday to find somebody to replace you, and, and uh, then I'll accept your resignation. And reluctantly, she agreed. She took her books back, and she went home, and, and uh, Saturday night, she studied her lesson for the last time. And uh, she got up Sunday morning and was getting ready for Sunday school. The last time. And as she was getting ready, she walked into the bedroom and there was her husband getting dressed. And, and she said, what are you doing? She said, he said, well, I just thought I'd go with you today. And first time, first time in all those years. And so he went that morning. He was filled with the Holy Ghost that morning and baptized in Jesus' name that morning. You see, what would have happened if she would have stopped? What would have happened if she had not gone that one more time? So if you're here tonight and you feel like you're in a hopeless situation, let me tell you about some folks that were in a hopeless situation. There was a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. She was, she was in a hopeless situation. There was no remedy. There was no appeal. There was nothing that she could do. The law said that she was to be stoned. She was in a hopeless situation. 
situation and they brought her to Jesus and something changed. She did not have any hope. There was no lawyer that could help her. There was no court that could help her. The court said that she was to be killed. The law said that she was to be killed. Everything that was written, everything that was familiar, everything that she knew said there was no hope. There was a woman that had an issue of blood. And she had been to every doctor. She had tried every remedy. She had tried some that she didn't feel like was going to work. She had tried some, no doubt, that she, she thought just might work. She had spent everything that she had on physicians. And the Bible said she just kept getting worse. She didn't have any hope. Medical science of that day could not give her any hope. There was no hope. She was in a hopeless situation. There was no hope. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody that the doctor told you this week that there's no hope. There's nothing more that we can do for you. I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. Maybe you, maybe you have a relative. Maybe you know somebody that, that the doctor said that there's no hope. Or maybe you've been struggling with a, a, a physical ailment for a long time and you're just tired of the fight. You're tired of struggling with it. You're t I know what that's like. I've been there. I know what it is. I know what it is to just drag your body along when it doesn't feel like going. I know what that's like. Maybe you felt like there's no hope. Maybe, maybe you're in what you think is a hopeless situation. There was a woman at the well and uh, she went all by herself. I've thought a lot about why she went by herself, Brother Boyd. She didn't go with the other women. And I believe, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I believe that she just got tired of hearing the whispers. She got tired of seeing everybody pointing, that's that woman, you know, that's, that's her. And I wonder who she's with this month. I wonder how things are going. Oh, well, I heard she, she, been, she took up with this guy. I wonder how long that'll last. And you know how you know how people do, and and uh, she had, she had been married five times, and it hadn't worked. She 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 was through with relationships. It just wasn't working for her. There was no happiness. There was no such thing as happiness in the home for her. She she had just finally given up on marriage and decided that she would just let the guy live with her, and 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 it would just. Because it was just going to end in disaster anyway. She was a woman without hope. But even in the most hopeless situations, there is still hope. I said even in the most hopeless situations, there's still hope. I found a scripture. I found a scripture that's located in the middle of the book of Job. Now when you talk about hopeless... What's the, who's the first guy you think of when you think of problems and trials? Who's the first guy you think of other than yourself? <laughs> we think of Job, don't we? Oh, I got the troubles of Job. Oh, I'm poor as Job's turkey. Poor old Job. And look at Job. And, you know, where, Job, the book of Job is the last place you think of to go to find anything to do with hope. You want to talk about problems? You want to talk about trials? You want to talk about hard luck? You want to talk about things going wrong? We always go right straight to Job. Poor old Job. Oh, my. But in the middle of the book of Job, Job chapter 14, there is a beautiful scripture. It says this. For there is hope of a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water, it will, bring, it, will, it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. You can take that tree and cut it off at the root. It can dry up in the ground. The ground around it can be dry. Everything can be dead and there is no hope that that tree is ever going to bud ever again. But you just start sprinkling just a little bit of water. The Bible said just the scent of water, just the smell of water will make that thing begin to bud again. Hey friend, your tree may be cut down. It, the ground around it may seem dry. It may be cut off at the ground and there is no hope but I want you to know that in this service tonight there is just the scent of water. Just a little smell of water. You can smell it coming across the air. You can smell it in the breeze. There is the scent of
hope tonight. Hey, there's hope for, for the United States. I don't care what the prognosticators say. I don't care what Rush, Rush Limbaugh says. I don't care what NPR says. I don't care what Obama does. I don't care about any of that. I'm just about quitting listening to all that stuff. Why? Because they'll tell me that there is no hope. But I want you to know that there is still hope. You know, I've even read in some preacher forum that they're, oh, we've gone too far and there ain't no hope. I just refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to accept that stuff because there is hope. And how how do I know there's hope? Because I smell water. Amen. Is this making any sense to anybody? Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it's no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, then hope is a mere flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Now there was, I, I, I mentioned three, three people tonight. And they were all in hopeless situations. Their tree had been cut down. And the root thereof was drying up in the ground. And there was no hope, they thought. That woman that was caught in the act of adultery, that day she woke up with no hope. That woman with the issue of blood, she had stopped hoping a long time ago. That woman that was sitting by the well that day, that morning she got down, got her water pot and went down to the well just like every other day. Just another hopeless day. I wonder how many more years I'm going to have to go through this hopeless life. I wonder how many more years I'm going to have to be lonely. I wonder how many more years I'm going to have to live like this. I just wish I could check out. But something happened. Something happened in common to all three of these women. Jesus showed up. And when Jesus shows up, there's hope. Amen. I said, when Jesus shows up, there is hope. Amen. I, I've told this story a lot. My poor wife, she's, I'm sure she's sick of hearing this story, but somebody just give her a roll eight. I'm going to have to tell it again. But one night I got a call from a man, from a, a, a lady in my church, and she said that uh, you need to pray for Bill's dad. He's dying. Uh, he's in the hospital. They say he won't live through the night. And I said, well, I've got service, but as soon as church is over, I'll go up and pray for him. And so I uh, had a visiting preacher that night, a friend of mine preaching for me. And so after service, I said, you know, I've got to go pray for this guy. You want to run up to Terre Haute, Indiana with me to pray for him? It was about 50 miles or so. So we got in the car and drove up there after church late and uh, walked into the uh, waiting room and... Uh, the whole family was there. It was a big room, and they were all there, just all somber and waiting on Grandpa to die. There wasn't any hope. There wasn't any hope. The doctors wasn't giving him any hope. And so I said, well, where is he? And they said, he's in ICU over there. And so they showed me where the door was. I walked in, and I said, I'm Reverend Barkley. I'm here to pray for Mr. Benton. And the nurse greeted me at the door, and she said, well, he's right over here, but you need to be very careful. His condition is very guarded. And I don't know what she thought I was going to do. I didn't know she, she thought I was going to, you know, shake him and, and spit in his face and get him up out of bed. I don't know what she thought I was going to do. But anyway, I said, okay, I will. So I, I walked up on the uh, right side of his bed. My friend walked up on the left side of the bed. And I bent over and I said, Mr. Benton, Mr. Benton. There was tubes, wires running everywhere, heart patient. And, and. He didn't respond. He never moved, never looked at me. His eyes were closed. He was gray. The man was dying. And I just reached up and put my hand on his head. And I said, in Jesus' name. And when I said, in Jesus' name, I felt his eyelashes brush the palm of my hand. He opened his eyes under my hand. And I just, I prayed the driest, the driest prayer in my whole existence. I didn't feel God anywhere. Sorry, but I didn't. You know, I would have loved to say, oh, I felt the confirmation of the Holy Ghost as it went down my spine. But I can't say that because I didn't feel nothing. 
But when I moved my hands from his forehead, he was looking at me. He was looking at me with focused eyes. He went home in three days and lived for 10 years and didn't die of heart trouble when he died. God healed that man that night. You see, God doesn't need me. God doesn't need me to shake somebody, spit in somebody's face. He doesn't mean, need me to do anything real dramatic because he can do it all by himself. Why? Because when that door opened and I said that name, when I said that name, that, that dying man got a whiff of water. All of a sudden, water came into that room and that dying tree came back to life. Why? Because when Jesus shows up, friend, there is hope. Jesus is in the house tonight. You say, well, Brother Barkley, I don't feel anything. He didn't feel nothing either. I didn't feel anything. But somebody smelled some water. We're bound, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, we're bound always to give, uh, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because... Uh, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus, of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Do you get that? Stand fast. Sometimes all you can do is just stand. I think somebody needs to stand. So I don't feel like going forward. Maybe not. But just stand. Stand. Stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us an everlasting consolation and good hope. Through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. So he's given us a good hope. There's hope. I want you to know tonight, there's hope. You say, Brother Barkley, you don't know my situation. I don't have to know your situation to know there's hope. This book tells me there's hope. Where Jesus is, there is hope. You say, you don't know what I, how do you know what I know? I may know exactly what, I may have been exactly where you are. You don't know. You see, sometimes we look at people and we say, oh, they've never been where I've been. But they may have. We don't know. But we do know that Jesus is the source of all hope. He has given us a good hope. And that light will shine in the middle of darkness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and I'm almost finished. This is Peter. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. Now, Peter is talking about when he and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah transfigured. And they heard the very voice of God come from heaven. It was an awesome, awesome experience. There was, can you imagine how that would be? You go up on a mountain, you're with Jesus, and all of a sudden he's transfigured, and, and you see him in glowing white. You see Moses and, and Elijah standing there, and, and they thought it was so great. They said, hey, Jesus, why don't we just build three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It, it's just awesome. This is an awesome place. It was one of the most awesome experiences that Peter ever had in his life. But after this awesome, awesome, awesome experience, he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy than that. What we've got right now is more sure than the Mount of Transfiguration. What we've got right now is more sure than the, the vision we had of Jesus. We have a more sure word of prophecy wherein until you do well that you take heed. In other words, it'd be a good idea if you, if you paid attention to this as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. 
and the day star arise in your heart. Brother Barkley, it is so dark. My life is so dark right now. Understand. Believe me, I understand. I've been there. You know what that is? Somebody tell me. A flashlight. Very good. You get an A. Now, have you ever seen a device? Are you going to think I'm nuts? That's okay. Maybe I am. But have you ever seen a device that when you turn it on, darkness comes out of it? Anybody ever seen a flash dark? No. They don't make a device like that. Why? Because you can't manufacture darkness. You can't. There is no source of darkness. Darkness is the absence of this right here. And so light has a power that darkness does not have. When you open the door at night, does the dark come in or does the light of your house go out? The light goes out. The darkness does not come in. It cannot go where there is light. And if we have light in our life, then the darkness has to go. Now, it may be very dark, but the darker it gets in this place, the brighter my little pen light gets. I, I've gone into some really, really dark places, and I, pull, I carry it everywhere I go. O'Reilly Auto Parts, about 10 bucks. This portion brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. One of these days, they're going to give me some money. But I've gone in some really dark places with this thing, and I've turned it on and been able to see where. It didn't matter how dark it got. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Amen. There's hope. I know it's getting dark. I know there are things going on in our country that we don't understand, we don't approve of, we don't like. I know there's all kinds of things going on that we wish we could change, and, and, and so far we haven't been able to change it, and, and I, I'm not even going there right now. But, but there is hope. I know the doctor, doctor may have said, sorry, there's nothing I can do. There's still hope because there's a Jesus. I know the lawyers may have said there's nothing we can do. There's, it's a hopeless situation. No. There's Jesus. And there's hope. There is hope tonight. Would you stand? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Hallelujah. And so, I don't know what you have faced this week, last week. I don't know what you'll face next week. But I know one thing. There's hope. I'm going to be really transparent with you. I've, I've faced some really, really dark times. I've faced some times where I have... where I have really said things that I shouldn't have said. I don't mean I cursed or anything like that. I just, maybe I questioned God. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to even describe it. It's too dark. It was too dark. But I know one thing. There is a God. And if you will just let that light shine, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. And let Jesus speak to you because there's hope. And so tonight, I think I'd like to close this service. And I've just, I've just preached for about 25 minutes or so, 20, 25 minutes. I'd like to close this service. I'd like for everybody to just come up here and spend a little bit of time and let the light shine in your heart.
because there's hope. Would you smell the air just a little bit? If you'll, if you'll smell the air of the Spirit, you'll, you'll find out that there's just a little whiff of water. You'll smell just a little scent of water because Jesus is in the house tonight. And he's come to give you hope. There is hope. There is hope. I don't care how hopeless the situation seems. I don't care how dark the room is. Just a little bit of light will make the difference. Just a little bit of water will make that tree bud again. Just a little bit of water. It doesn't take a whole lot. You know, sometimes we want, we want things to just, to just shake. And we want, we want things to, to just rumble. But they don't always do that. I wish they did, but they don't. Sometimes it just, it just kind of happens a little slow. Sometimes we just got to walk. Sometimes we have to just, we just have to stand fast. But I want you to know there's hope tonight. Amen. There's hope. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.